Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Now, these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Seriah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpah, Bigvi, Rehom, and Beana, the least of the men of the people of Israel, the descendants of Perosh, 2,172. Of Shephatiah, 372. Of Era, 775. Of Behath, Moab, through the line of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812. Verse 33. Of Lord, Hadid, and Ono, 725. Of Jericho, 345. Of Sinai, 3,630. The priests, the descendants of Jediah, through the family of Jeshua, 973. Of Ema, 1052. Of Pashur, 1247. Of Harim, 1017. The Levites, the descendants of Jeshua and Kadmiel, of the line of Hodaviah, 74. The musicians, the descendants of Asaph, 128. The gatekeepers of the temple, the descendants of Shalom, Eta, Talmon, Akub, Hittita, and Shobiah, 139. The temple servants, the descendants of Ziha, Hashufa, Taboth, Keros, Sayaha, Pardon, Libana, Hagabah, Akob, verse 53, Bacchus, Sisera, Tima, Neziah, and Hatifa. The descendants of the servants of Solomon, the descendants of Sotiah, Hasophereth, Peruda, Jela, Parkon, Gidel, Shephatiah, Hatil, Pokereth Hazeribai, again, Pokereth Hazebaim, and Amy, the temple servants and the descendants of the servants of Solomon, 392. The following came up from the towns of Tel Mela, Tel Harsha, Kerub, Adon, and Ima, but they could not show their fam- their, that their families were descendants 
were descended from Israel, the descendants of Deliah, Tobiah, and Nekuda, and from among the priests, 652, the descendants of Hobiah, Hakoz, and Basiliah, a man who had married a daughter of Basiliah, the Gileadite, and was called by that name. These searched for their family records, but they could not find them, and so were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor ordered them not to eat any of the most sacred food until there was a priest ministering with the Urim and Thummim. The whole company numbered 42,360, besides there are 7,337 male and female slaves. And they also had 200 male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings towards the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 1,000 priestly garments. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers and the temple servants settled in their own towns, along with some of the other people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. You have two questions on your mind. The first one, Ostom is under church discipline. Now, she is not, I love her, she's an awesome supporter. But her husband, I don't love. And so I was punishing her, him vicariously through her. They said they are one. So, when you are a pastor, you can do what you like. You, you understand? No. Fantastic reading. Let me say thank you. Thank you for that. I know it wasn't easy practicing, thinking about those names. Second question on your mind is, what is he going to preach from this thing? <laughs> so, obviously, obviously, we need the help of God for that. So, can we please pray? Can we pray? Lord, we now lift our hearts to you, Lord, and need you. And uh, we need your counsel. We need your power. We need your wisdom to show forth, oh God, out of this. It is the entrance of your word that brings light and understanding to the simple. And Lord, we want that to happen. We want that we would receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit who has penned these words. But that the Holy Spirit will not just give us illumination. The Holy Spirit will be working in the hearts of everyone here and that he will captivate our wills so that, Lord, we will be the people that are obedient to you but are also on your mission. So speak to us today. Let our lives never be the same for good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Um, I, like, I like wrestling. 
I don't know what now. I don't, I'm not, I don't mean Olympic wrestling, that garbage. I'm talking about real wrestling, you know, WWE wrestling. Eh? Acting, no, that's wrestling. Uh, AEW is around now. I don't know if any of you have heard AEW, but I don't watch as much. But when I was growing up, I used to watch a lot. And obviously, you always had the people that you supported. And it was nice when your guy had the belt, when he was the champion. It was nice. My favorite wrestler of all time was a guy called Bret the Hitman Hart. Now, there was also a tragedy that you often had when somebody cheated on your guy and then they now collected the belt. It's a tragedy. But the only thing that is better than when your guy initially won the belt, you know what? It is when, having lost the belt, he goes and he grabs it back. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who likes a comeback story? Some people said that I had lost the belt of the chief storytelling officer in this church. They said I lost it. Maybe I had. I can tell you it wasn't fair. Somebody cheated. But I'm here to take it back. If there's a witness in there, I'll say amen, amen. I want to tell you two connected short stories. But they are, um, it's a bit moving. Um, the first one is about a guy called Kola. And Kola, as a little boy, one day was walking um, with his mom. Very little. Probably was like three. And then the rain started pouring. Initially it was drizzling, but it started pouring. And then it started pouring, and it started pouring, and it started pouring. At some point, the mother knew, ah, we have to start trying to get home very quickly. But because the water, now the water level started rising, she put him on the back. And then they started moving, moving, moving. And then at some point, because everyone was going into their houses, at some point, they got to a place and she saw some, the water passing and she wanted to go through the water to get to the other side. It will have uh, uh, reduced the time. So she entered in. Unknown to her, it was a gutter. And now the gutter had already risen. It was now becoming like a stream. And that's how she entered and they were swept away, swept away. And at some point, at the account, shouting help, help, and some people heard and all of that, miraculously, they were able to remove both of them. That's how Kola survived. The second person is, about, is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, at this point, she just finished her work exams. So the day she finished her work exams, the next day, she and two of her friends decided they were in Ogun State. They wanted to go to Lagos. Why they want to go to Lagos, we don't know. Maybe some of them wanted to go to their house. Some of them went to see their boyfriend. We can't tell. But as they were going, they were in a car, driven by somebody else. One of them sat in front. Bumi sat in front. Lisbeth and another person sat at the back. And as they were going, just happy, getting to Lagos, next thing, they, they, there was a terrible accident. Oh, it was effect. Thank you. <laughs> I almost thought an accident was about to happen. <laughs> it was, there was a terrible accident, and I mean this seriously, terrible accident such that the person in front, Bumi, died. The driver didn't die, Bumi died. Elizabeth had a, you know, a gash on her eye until uh, today. She still has to put on glasses. She doesn't see very well. But cut long story short, eventually, Kola grows up. Elizabeth grows up. They meet. They meet in the church, and eventually they get married. Within five years, they have three children. Two girls, one boy. The boy was the middle child. And the boy loves to tell stories and is currently telling you their story right now. For some, they are supposed to try to get it. That's the story of my parents. 
first of all. Now they're like, ah. Oh. Yes. Thank you for my belt uh, back. Uh, thank you. Now, the survival stories, these two survival stories, obviously play a huge relevance in my life. First of all, to state the obvious, if, neither, if either of them did not survive, I'm not here today. Uh, maybe I would have come as a lizard or something. I don't know. But the second one is this. Those stories have formed part of what we call my family stories. And the family stories, like that one, they give me a sense of rootedness that is critical to understanding myself and my identity. Whenever you want to think about yourself, your origins, our origins, has a lot to do with how we understand ourselves. Professor Elaine Rees, who is a psychology professor, she's a New Zealander, she writes this in a 2013 article in The Atlantic. She says, books contain narratives, but only family stories contain your family's personal narratives. Fortunate children get both. Then she says, they hear and read stories from books to become part of other people's worlds, but they hear and tell stories of their family to understand who they are and from whence they came. In other words, without some kind of connection to and knowledge of our roots, it will be hard for us to fully understand who we are. When we are taken away from our roots, then the understanding of who we are becomes more complex, more disorienting. Now picture the people of Israel. Decades, for decades, they have been taken away from their roots. Their land of promise that was given to them. What do you effect do you think this had on them? Let me tell you, it was a devastating effect on their identity. Why? Because they weren't just taken away from their ethnic land. That in itself was bad enough. They were taken away from their center of worship. It was where their temple was and where they met with the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was there that when they met with the Lord, in his presence, they could get his blessings. So when they were returning, it was called to their restoration. Imagine if you were an Israelite that was in exile. You would be asking yourself something like this. Are we really Israelites if we are not gathering in our land as Yahweh's people, worshipping Yahweh's in Yahweh's temple? This is why the return that was given to them by uh, uh, Cyrus in Ezra 1 verse 3 was critical to their restoration. They would not fully answer the question, who are we if they weren't returned to their roots? And when they return to their roots, then they can worship their God and receive the blessings that come with his presence. It's a similar thing for us. Unless we understand what it means to be properly rooted, there will be a limit to how we can receive God's blessing in our life. There will be a limit to seeing God at work in our lives. And so that's why we've titled this sermon, Rooted and Restored. And I'm praying that at the end of it, God will be able to show us how we can be rooted in a way that properly, that he approves of, that also receives his blessing. Amen? So let's, we're going to see it under these three headings. Rejected roots, registered roots, and restored roots. Rejected roots, 
registered roots, and restored roots. So let's start with the first one, rejected roots. Now, Ezra 1 verse 3. Why were the Israelites returning? Very simple. They were going to build a physical structure. What was the physical structure they were going to build? The temple. All right? They were going to build a physical structure, the temple. Yes, but no. Before they built the physical structure, they had to build some other structures. They had to build human structures. That's what we see in this entire passage. Why? Because the God that they served, that they were going to, who, for whose temple they were going to build and worship, is not a God who dwells in temples made by human hands. He is a God in whose image human beings were made. So in God's thinking, human beings are more important than buildings. Can somebody say amen to that? More important. Therefore, he was saying, before you put in the human, uh, the, build, the physical structure, let us set down the human structures. And that's why we are not just giving a general census. Yes, we have the number of people that were there, the donkeys and all of that. Verse 64 to 67 tells us the general census. But what we are also giving is human groups. They were categorized in human groups. So something that will be familiar to us was they were grouped according to their name. In other words, Naubonyu. Who is your father? Right? And so you can see that in verses 3 to 20. Like, for instance, you hear the descendant of Parosh, the descendant of Sheptiah, the descendant of Ara. So they were grouped according to names, descendants. But they were also grouped according to place. And you see that from verse 21 to 35. So, the people of the land of Bethlehem, the people of the land of uh, uh, Lord Hadid and Ono, verse 33, of Jericho, of Sinai. Oh, well, I'm good. You're thinking about a group of people. You think about Nigeria. Where are you from? I'm from Ogun State. Are you Ijebu? Are you Egba? Oh, who, who are you? Adesonya. Which Adesonya? You understand? But Israel were more than just a geopolitical country. In fact, that wasn't the core of who Israel was. The core of who Israel were is that they were God's people, the true God's people, Yahweh's people. And it was that that formed the identity. Israel were first and foremost a worshipping community. Follow me closely. And because they were a worshipping community, the grouping that actually mattered more than anyone was the groupings around the worship of God. And let me show you a couple of them. The first one you may miss if you don't see, look very closely. Um, Tommy gave us a hint that uh, last week he said that the writer wants us to know that the returnees were thinking of them as a new, as of themselves as a new exodus. But let me show you something. Look at verse 2. It says that, well, at the end of verse 1, it said they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in the company, in company with, in company with Zerubbabel. Joshua, Nehemiah, Seriah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpah, Bigvai, Rehum, and Bana. Why is it that this is the first group of people that are called? Because the Bible doesn't just order people, just put like, why are they called first? Now, let me quickly say something. In case you didn't know, in those times, they didn't have something called a photocopier. Witness, do you think they had a photocopier there? Okay, they didn't. Yeah, Xerox, they didn't have that. So if there was a script that I wanted other people to read, how do I get a copy? You get things people call scribes. They sort of write it. Now, the problem with this is that they're not like Xerox. They're not like all of those things. So 
they don't give you exact same thing. They have human errors. So sometimes they may leave out a letter. Sometimes they may leave out a word. Sometimes they may even insert something and all of that. Now, there was a scribal error here. How do I know? I'm not looking outside of the Bible to any history. I'm going to look inside the Bible. Because decades later, there was a guy called Nehemiah, the next book after Ezra, who was going to do another restoration work after what happened here in Ezra. He was going to build the walls. But he didn't want to build the walls immediately without building on the foundation of the first returnees, the people here in Ezra 1 and 2. So he wanted the script that shows all the people that went back at the beginning so that he could now do things appropriately. Are you still following me? So he then said, bring that list. And Nehemiah chapter 7 is the same list as Ezra chapter 2. But you may see some slight variance because of scribal errors. So now I want to show you this table. Now, if you look at Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel is there. Joshua, Joshua is there. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Seradiah, Azariah. Now, you will see some small variants. So Azariah is Seradiah. It's a variant of the name, right? Some of you will say, I am Yewande, but I'm also Wendy, something like that. Go to the next, next page. I mean, you know. Mordecai, Mordecai, Bilshan, Bilshan, Antegi. There are four of them where there are variants. Mispah, Misrepet, Bigvai, Bigvai, Rebum, Nehum. You see, they're about the same. But there's one more thing that you probably saw that I don't want you to miss. Go back to the first page. There are variants there, but can you see that in Ezra, there's a name that is not there that is in Nehemiah? Nahamani. Why is that important? Because when you put Nahamani there as he was meant to be, let's count the names. So when I say name, you tell me one, okay? Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mishrepeth, Bigvai, Nehum, Bana. Do you get it? Israel started with 12 patriarchs, the 12 sons of Jacob. And in this, they are seeing that we are starting Israel all over again. So we start with, as it were, the 12 patriarchs. Because we are not just a people, we are the people of God. But the second thing you see is that the other kinds of groups are also grouped around the worship. If these are the foundations of these people, then these, we are worshiping people, we need to prioritize those who help us to worship. So we have the priests. The list of the priests, verse 36 to 39. We have the Levites, verse uh, 40. We have the musicians, verse 41. We have the gatekeepers of the temple, verse 42. And then from verse 43 all the way to 58, I believe, we have the descendants of Solomon's servants and also the temple servants. In other words, the human structures that are needed to serve at the temple. This was on the basis of the list that was done in 1 Chronicles 24 to 26. That David was almost like Moses 2.0. Moses had a list of what should be done in the tabernacle in the book of the law. And David then sort of updated it to put some music in there because we know how David loves his music. So why is all this structure? What is this structure trying to achieve? Because structures are boring. But listen, this is what the structure is actually saying. In order for the people to have God's presence at work in them, the people who have certain gifts should serve one another in specific roles. Let me say it again. When the people of God, in their specific gifts, 
are serving one another in specific roles, then they can receive the presence of God and God at work in them. I will say it a third time for emphasis. When these specific people of God, in their specific gifts, are serving one another in their specific roles, then they can have the presence of God to be at work in them and to bless them. So how does that apply to us as a church? How does the church start? You say it started with Jesus. You are not lying. But Jesus had how many people he wanted to start it with? Twelve apostles. And then in those twelve apostles that he starts, right, what happens is that eventually as the Holy Spirit comes, this Holy Spirit gives gifts to the people that are part of this group of people. This group of people, he says, they're not just an ordinary group of people. It's not just a group. It's not people walking in shell. It's not Nigerians. It's not, no, he gives them a name. Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27. He says that you are what? The body of Christ. It's not just anybody. The body of Christ. And it says each one of you is part of it. Each one of you is not it. You can't say, Lola can't say, I'm the body of Christ. Heresy. There is the body of Christ, but she's part of it. Not just anybody. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 6, listen to what it then says. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. It's gifts. There are different kinds of service or service roles, but the same Lord. So there are gifts and there are service roles. And then finally, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God word at work. Can I spell it for you? When people are serving one another in the Christ-appointed roles with the gifts that the Spirit has given them, that is the basis upon which God is at work in them. Let me put it another way. Do you want to see God at work in your life? Then he says that you should be in his body, serving in a particular role because he has given you certain gifts. If that happens, I can assure you there is a working of God that will happen in your life. That's so why he says, well, okay, I'm already happy that God is working in my life. Yes, but there is a unique blessing that comes from dwelling. Somebody said there is a unique blessing that comes from dwelling. Maybe I can explain this even further. When we dwell together, there is a unique blessing that comes. Now, picture this. Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 14, he says that the blessing of Abraham may come on the Gentiles through faith, and that through that we may receive the promise of the Spirit. I.e., the blessing of Abraham is encapsulated in the giving of the Holy Spirit. Alright? Do we get that? Now, when the Holy Spirit was going to be given, Jesus told his disciples, I need you to go into all the world. Right? Go and be witnesses of me. But don't go until I send what the Father has promised. What was he talking about? The Holy Spirit. You are good Bible students. So Jesus has already promised he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Who was in there to get the Holy Spirit? Only one thing. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what they said. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all, say that word with me. They were all, oh, wonderful. They were together in one place. The King James says they were in one accord. It was when they were together that the Holy Spirit came. It was the basis of one them dwelling together. They, you, the King James word was also, they tarried together. When they dwelt together, that was the basis upon which the blessing came. 
Somebody said, you are now straining. It's just one verse. I, I, you know, it was the start of the church. Are you sure you are, not, you are not doing too much? Let me then show you. After these people, the church was born. After people preached and more people gave their lives, now we see the first way the church actually worked together. Go down to Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And you will say that word with me as many times as I ask you. Verse 44. All the believers were and had everything in common. Verse 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And then, verse 46, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. On the basis of them being together with glad and sincere hearts, what happened? As they were praising God, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. The favor of all the people was really the favor of God coming through the people. It was on the basis of them being together. What am I saying? There is a blessing of God that only comes by when we dwell together. There's some of us who have been Christians and say, Lord, if only you will bless me with this particular job. And you don't know that God has already answered that prayer. How do I know he's answered that prayer? Because the HR director of that company that you have been wanting to go to is sitting right next to you. You just don't know them because you've not been dwelling together. For some of you, it may be that, you know, I've been having this problem with my knee. Or my mom all, all of a sudden was just diagnosed with cancer. And you think it is the end of your mom's life because she's been diagnosed with cancer. You don't know whether it's stage one. You don't know whether it's stage two. You don't know what things have been, what things can be done at this stage. But if only you went to your gospel community because you are dwelling there, you will not know that there is a specialist medical oncologist in your GC, but you will not have known that because you weren't dwelling together. God has already answered your prayers, but it comes with dwelling together. He said, listen, I'm saying this because it's very serious. There is something powerful about when we dwell together. It is only there that God... You see... God, there are ways God sends his blessing. God can give you his blessing. God can sprinkle his blessing. God can even dispense his blessing. My favorite one is when God commands a blessing. When God commands a blessing, you know what that is? He commanded it. It cannot be taken away. How many of you want to receive the commanded blessing of God? Let me show you Psalm 133. Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, it is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord has what? Commanded the blessing. Guys, let us not play with dwelling together. It's one thing. Yes, you can be a Christian, but are you dwelling among the people? In verse 70, you know what it says? It says that the people, the priests, the levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns. There's one, it's one thing to be saved, another thing to be settled. We're not saved. Somebody said, but how about the thief on the cross? The thief, why is this? The thief on the cross? You have 80 other examples. You are using the exception. If you want to really be like the thief on the cross, then go and steal. And then let them catch you. And then on your last, on your last, uh, whatever, then give your life to Christ. Is that really who you want to use as your example? We are not saved by going to church, but we are saved for going to church. Because God wants you settled. Amen. But here's the problem. Some of us aren't receiving all that God wants to give to us because we reject being rooted. How do we reject being rooted? Well, I can think of three ways we reject being rooted. We are unrooted, we are poorly rooted, or we are wrongly rooted. 
unrooted, wrongly rooted, or poorly rooted. Can we say that? So I want to identify you now in one of them. In any of them, just take your own. All right, first one, unrooted. Who are the unrooted people? Very simple. These are people that say, Jesus, yea, church, nay. All right? They love Jesus, but they don't love the church. I'm okay, right? Me and Jesus, we are okay. There's nothing, I don't want people to come and corrupt me. I don't want the pastor to come and collect money from me. I don't want people to be up in my business. Jesus speaks to me. He's, you know, the Rose of Sharon. Me and him, we are in a love relationship. But this church thing, uh-uh. church people, they start entering your business. Essentially, what you're saying is that the church is imperfect. Now, let me tell you a little bit about myself, for those of us who are new here or what have you. I, like to t- I tend to think of myself as a generally um, cordial person. So, if somebody wants to be my friend, you know, at least you'll be acquainted with me and you want to come and talk to me, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk. As, much, as long as I have the time and all that, we'll talk. I like to, I don't, I'm going to push you away. All right? We'll talk. There's, not, there's hardly anything that you will do, you know, that will push me away, except one. There's one thing you can do. You just need to say it. And I can tell you, guaranteed, we can never be friends. Guaranteed, we can never be friends. You say, how about what the love of Christ? It's the love of Christ. I'm not Christ. This one, we will not be friends. This thing, if you say to me, do you know what it is? If you come and tell me that you don't like my wife. My wife is not perfect, but she's perfect for me. If you say you don't like my wife, you are essentially saying, I don't want to be friends with you. You say, but she is not perfect. Are you perfect? But me and my wife, I won. So now you go to meet Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you, but not with your wife. And Jesus is saying, she's not perfect. In fact, I promise that I will make her perfect. But if you don't want to do, you don't want to have anything to do with my bride. I and my bride are one. Maybe you don't want to have something to do with me. For those who are unrooted, I'm saying this. You need to get rooted today. Let me even share something with you again, what Elaine uh, Reese said, the person I quoted from the Atlantic. She further goes on to say, and this she's just talking sociologically and familiarly about roots. She says, adolescents with a strong knowledge of family history have more, listen to it, more robust identities, better coping skills, and lower rates of depression and anxiety. Then you are more connected to your family stories and roots. But here is the kicker. Here's the one that is actually, when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh. She said, whether those family stories are good family stories or crappy family stories, it really doesn't matter that people who had family stories that were crappy, that was told to them, they have a better or a more robust and secure sense of personhood and identity than the people that did not ever hear about that. Can you imagine? Here's what she's saying. She's saying, whether you like it or not, rootedness matters in the formation of your identity. And you need to form your identity to be a stronger person. Here's what she left out. To form your identity, you don't just need your family history. It's not just about the familial or the sociological. For you to form your identity as a person, you also need the spiritual as well. So you, I ask you, or you ask me, how do I form my spiritual identity? Oh, it's very simple. She's already given you the hint. If you form your identity, your sociological and familial identity by hearing your family stories through the people of your family, then how do you form your spiritual identity? Well, you get into a spiritual family and you hear the family stories as well. 
We have family stories that tell told to us in the Bible. You hear it through the preaching of the word. But also in smaller units and groups, we argue, we share Bible studies, we do all of those things. But also in the way God is at work in us in our different testimonies. These are our family stories. When you do this, you are more rooted to the God who made you for whom purpose he has created. Am I talking to someone? If you are unrooted, and by that I mean you are not firmly planted in a healthy church. Get rooted today. The second one is people who are poorly rooted. So these are people that will, these are sharp people. You are sharp. You are sharp. They say, are you unrooted? No, I'm not now. I'm rooted. I'm in city church. They know me. They call me. Now, they know you, it's true, but we know you once every three months. I've been coming from the beginning. I asked Pastor Femi, was, I was part of the original people that planted it. So I've been coming. And I know of you. I don't know you because I don't know what you are doing for the last three months. These are people who have believed this lie, which is this. I want to maintain my individuality. And individuality is a very important thing. But here's the lie Satan tells you. The only way you can get individuality is by taking autonomy. And that is, nobody can tell me what to do. I don't want any, if I don't, if I, if I don't believe it, no one can tell me. And so you start to distance and say, once they start asking for a bit more commitment, eh, that's what I, I don't want. I'm just here to come and receive and just, hey, what's up? Hey, dinner? Okay, yes, yes, yes. But that dinner, three years, you don't respond. How do you see? I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. I what come you didn't come to church last week? Yeah, I was a bit tired. Everything poorly rooted. Can I tell you this? I've counseled a number of people in my life. The people who have fallen into terrible sin, terrible sin, adultery, you know, um, name it. Or the people who, when they've gone through a difficult bout of suffering and they were unable to recover on time, almost all of them, 99.9% of them, have this common trait about them. Listen to it. They bought, the, they were, they bought the, well, they wanted to be individual. They bought the lie of, of, uh, uh, of autonomy, which is basically semi-rootedness. And eventually, as they practiced that over and over again, Satan eventually got them to isolation. Almost everyone that I know, at the time that they, were, they committed that sin, they were isolated. At the time when they were in that suffering and they couldn't get back, they were isolated. So when you committed that sin, at some point, when you are calling that person, somebody will have, you will have shared it with, with one of your friends and you say, hey, are you sure? Shouldn't you check this thing out? I'm not sure. At that point, you will have been able to cut it short. But you have alienated yourself from those people. When you are going through that suffering, the word that was needed to hold you, the people that could have visited you, when we found you, it was six months after we asked you, why didn't you tell anybody? said, I didn't really have anybody to talk to because, you know, I'm not, I'm, not that, I'm not that kind of person. I don't really have relationship with people. When you are going through that issue between you and your husband or you and your wife, now that you guys, it is almost irreconcilable. If you had people that you could have just said, well, you need to come and talk to your friend or you need to come and... But you didn't have because you are poorly rooted. We know you. You're just not really rooted. It's really the difference between a palm tree and an oak. What's the difference between two of them? On the face of it, they are both very strong. Very, very strong. But if you have massive wind comes, the palm tree goes off. The oak remains stable. Why? The palm tree, if you see, have you seen the roots of a palm tree? Look at that. 
But have you seen the roots of an oak? The roots of an oak, they say it goes, a mature oak, it goes hundreds of miles. In fact, the width of the roots of an oak are four to seven times the width of the crown of the oak. It is properly rooted. That is why it doesn't go off. Have you never heard the prophet when he says, God has called us to be palm trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord? Have you heard that scripture? No, he calls us to be what? Oaks of righteousness. Get properly rooted if you are poorly rooted today. Finally, some of us are wrongly rooted. Wrongly rooted. A psychiatrist gave a four to five step um, uh, 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 um, uh, five st stages of how somebody eventually gets in a very bad place. Listen to what he says. He says one, stage one, these people lack a sense of rootedness, whether because of something in their family, they didn't get the family stories, whatever. But they, had, they lack a sense of rootedness. That leads to stage two, a poor understanding of themselves. That leads to stage three. When they have poor understanding of themselves, what happens? They develop a fragile identity. They have low self-esteem. They don't have self-confidence because of the things that they don't know. They are still trying to find who they are. And because they really want to find who they are, then it leads to stage four. They place their roots in the first available soil. And sadly, the first available soil quite often is unsafe and it is unsecure. That's why that marvelous and um, uh, philosopher, one of the best philosophers of all time, uh, named Tupac Shakur, he said, he said, and I quote, Tupac said, he was saying about his father, I'm not going to quote, but he was saying about his father, he said, the, the, the coward left because the coward didn't care. So he had a problem with his origin, understanding himself, because his father wasn't there. But he then said, eventually, when my mom wasn't around, I, ho I hung around with the thugs. And he said, even though they sold drugs, they showed a young brother love. The first available family and the first available soul he had were thugs that actually sold drugs. The reason why he was able to join them was because he had a fragile identity. And so for some of us, we are putting ourselves and our roots in different soils. It may be the wrong social media group. It may be that cultish uh, Christian group. It may be the wrong relationships. You are putting yourself in the wrong place and you are wondering, where can I find a good family? I can tell you that the body of Christ is a family that will not disappoint you. Well, they may disappoint you, but the Christ in them will not disappoint you. Root yourselves, properly root yourselves in a healthy church today. So if you are rooted, get rooted. If you are poorly rooted, get rightly rooted. I get deeply rooted today. But if you are wrongly rooted, get rightly rooted. Now, I anticipate a number of objections to this, so I won't spend the remaining time I have quickly to address two objections to this in my last two points. First one, my first, second point is registered roots. I know what the issue some of us are thinking. Say, look, you don't understand. I am not joining a church because of a reason. If I enter and I come, you people will not accept me because I'm not like you. I don't really fit in. In fact, because you're very smart, you see, ah, I even saw in verse 59 and verse 60, you see verse 59, 60, it says that the following came up from the towns of Tel Mela, Tel Hasha, Kerub, blah, blah, blah. He said they could not show that their families were descended from Israel. He said those people's names were not on the register. That's me. My name cannot fit on the register. 
Because if you know, I mean, I'm not a church person. I don't understand your language. I don't know the songs. Or more, I've been to places. Or if you, if you know what I've done, I can't fit into the register. Which reminds me, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm still fascinated today. If I meet you and you tell me your name, I say, I'm Chidera Bamilue. I say, ah, wow, <laughs> okay. Something there. If I, if I hear that you are Hawa Obiagini, <laughs> something there. Now, we don't pause rudely, but we pause because you weren't expecting to hear Obiagili after Hawa. You were expecting to hear, if you heard Danjuma, you just keep walking. If you heard after uh, Chidera, if you heard Njoku, you just keep walking. But here, Bamiloe stops. Because there's something about them that really doesn't fit together. That pause is what you should have when you read verse 48 and you see resin there. Or you read verse 53 and you see Sisera there. Resin and Sisera? How come they are on the register? So what's wrong with Rezin and Sisera? It's exactly what's wrong with Chidera, Bamiloe. You see, when an Israelite hears the word Rezin, ah, they be like, Rezin, how can it be there? Because in Isaiah 7 verse 1, Rezin was the name of an Aramean king who marshaled his troops to come and fight against Judah, the people of God. Or when you think about Sisera, Sisera was the commanding general of the army of a Canaanite king that brutalized the people of God. And the question is, how can Rezin and Sisera be there? How many of you, when you have daughters, are going to call your daughter Jezebel? If you see a friend that called daughter Jezebel, will you not bring your kids away from them? How many of you, if you have boys, are going to call your, your sons Judas? Ah, no. So what is Sisera and, and Rezin doing there? Most likely it wasn't that they were named that way. Most likely it's that they were not, they weren't Jews, but somehow the gracious God that brings turnaround has included them because they decided to worship him. Listen to what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter whether you don't fit on the register of men. Do you fit on the divine gracious register of God? That's why one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Psalm 87. In Psalm 87, it says in verse 4 and verse 6, it says about Israel's historic enemies. It says, I will record Rahab. Rahab is Egypt. And Babylon, among those who acknowledge me. What? The people that oppressed my people? The people that took them into exile? Oh, there's more. Do you remember the Philistines that Goliath came from? Philistines will also be there. Even Tyre will be there. Even Cush will be there. This is what I will say about them. This one was born in Zion. Why? It may not make sense to human beings, but to the gracious God that turns things around, he's able to include you in a register that should not have your name. In verse 6, it says, the Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. See, when Rezin and Sisera came, they weren't sent back. When God anticipates Phyllis Atai and all of those people, he says they will be there. Now listen to me. Somebody will say, but my own is different. Listen, resin is not Cicera. Cicera is not resin. But here's what's common about both of them. They are both not Israelites. Maybe you didn't catch it. Kush is not Tyre. Tyre is not Philistia. Philistia is not Babylon. Babylon is not Rahab. In other words, your sinfulness and the way you don't fit may be unique. But what is unique is that all of us do not fit. But God's grace through Jesus Christ can make us fit there. And when he does that, he can say, not just that you are born in Zion, but this one is born of the Spirit. And whosoever is born of the Spirit, God will not send away. But here is the thing. 
He calls you not just to be born. Because if we have a baby that was born and six years after, we are still referring to that baby as born. There is a problem. He says, I haven't born you. I want you to root yourselves in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7. He says, in the same way you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. How? Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Do you see? That in the way you received Christ, don't just stay there. I want you to root yourself in Christ and that is the base upon which you will be built up in Christ. I say root. I'm just mystically rooting myself in him. No. The only way you root yourself in Christ is to root yourself in Christ's body. And that's how you can be built up. Let me finish with this last one. Restored roots, the third. Maybe there's another objection here. Someone may say, my own is different though. Now, usually in Nigeria, when we say my own is different, my case is different. You know it's positive, right? So everybody, everything is, inflation is hitting everybody, but my own case is different. I'm not talking about that one. Here, when it says my case is different, they're saying, I am not like the people who cannot fit in the register. This is what this person is saying. I was once living as a Christian. In fact, my name was on the register. I used to serve the Lord on campus. People knew me. In fact, if you go and ask my roommates, my roommates, I used to disturb them in the night because I would wake up around 4 a.m. to be praying. Maybe that's why you are where you are now, but let's leave that one. You shouldn't be disturbing people in the name of the Lord. But, you see, I used to be, I used to be but you know, life happens. And honestly, I have been so far away from the Lord. I came back, the Lord forgave me, and then I did it again. He, I went back, He forgave me, and did it again. Until I know, I know for a certain thing. Because if you know what I have done, God cannot have me back. My name was on the register, but with my broken covenant promises, I have erased my name from the register. Wow. I hear you, but I respectfully disagree. The first problem here is that you have supposed that God is go this whole thing is set up on the basis of your own identity. I want to tell you this. You are important. You are not that important. This thing is set up not on the basis of your identity as a covenant breaker. It is set up on the identity of God as the covenant keeper. He is the covenant keeping God. But the second thing I want to say is this. Oh, you say your name has been erased off the register. It's amazing how erasing someone's name off the register is such a big thing in the Bible. Do you know that? Oh, let me show you. For those who think they fit at one, they fit at one time, but they don't fit again. Their names are off the register. Did you not read in the priest, verse 36 to verse 37 uh, to 39? Notice what you saw there. 36 to 39. The descendants of Jediah through the family of Yeshua, 973, 1. The descendants of Ima, 2. The descendants of Pasha, and the descendants of Harim. How many are there? How many are there? How many divisions? How many? Four. Harim, Pasha, Ima, and Jediah. These were divisions of the priesthood. What do you mean by divisions? That is, to, to, uh, when they were going to perform their duty, the priesthood was divided into groups of people. David did this in 1 Chronicles 24. 
In 1 Chronicles 24, I'm not going to go through it, but you, do you know how many divisions were there? 24 divisions. 24. Jediah was the second. Ima was of the 16th. Bashir through Malkijah was the fifth. And then Harim was the third. Question. What happened to the remaining 20? Answer. They were erased. They were erased. They were once on the register, but now we don't see them on the register. To which that person saying, exactly, I'm one of the 20. Hey, hold down. Because there's something here I want you to see. One of them that is not there is particularly important. The one that is not there that is important is the number eight. It's called Abijah. Abijah. Where is Abijah? Why is Abijah not here? Abijah must be restored though. Turn to your neighbor and say, Abijah must be restored. Turn to your other neighbor and say, why must Abijah be restored? I'm glad you asked. I'm here to tell you. Abijah must be restored because Abijah, if Abijah is not restored, the greatest restoration story of all time will not be told. So let me tell you about the restoration of Abijah and why that's important for you who thinks that your name can never be written there again. Let me take you to Luke chapter 1. There's a restoration story that is going on there. In Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verse 5, verse 7, verse 7, verse 8, 11, 13, and 17. Can we have it? In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of what? It's what centuries after somehow Abijah has come back in. But why is this important? You see, this Zachariah had a wife. The wife's name was Elizabeth. She was also a descendant of Aaron. Once Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest. Can you give me verse 8? As he was serving as a priest before God. And then in verse 11, it then says this. Verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Because Zechariah did not have a child, he was very old. But he said, I was going to bring a restoration in your life. I first restored the priesthood. You were serving there. Now, I am going to restore something to you. But this restoration is not just for you. Oh, it is for Israel and for the entire world. Because your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You have to call him John. And this John is going to prepare a people restored so that they can get the eternal restoration. And he will go on before the Lord to make a people prepared for the Lord. Are you seeing what I'm saying? In the restoration of Abijah was also a person called John the Baptist. And in John the Baptist, a people were prepared so that Jesus can come and eternally restore us to the Lord. If God can do it for Abijah, I am here to tell you, he will do it for you as well. Because he is a covenant-keeping God. Listen, you may say, oh, I have, you don't understand. When I wrote my name, I wrote it in pencil and my sin has erased it. Have you not heard that there is ink and your eraser cannot erase the ink? But you say, oh, there is an eraser that can erase an ink. Oh, but there is an ink that can never be erased. Because when you are in the register, in Revelation 21, 27, it says that this register is called the Lamb's Book of Life. We took the death of the Lamb of God to write your name. And if your name is written, it is written in the ink of the blood of Jesus Christ. There is not an eraser in the heavens, under the heavens, on the earth that can ever blot out your name. That's why in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation 3 verse 5, it says this, To he that overcomes, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But you say, have I overcome? I have been struggling with this thing. 
in 1 John 5 and 5, he said, who is he that overcomes? But he that believes that Jesus is the son. It is not what you have done. It is on the basis of what Christ has done. And if Christ has done it, the one that said it is finished, your name is permanently marked there. If you've been going away from him, come back again. He is indeed a covenant-keeping God. But there's one more problem to solve here. Because you say, well, my name is on the register. I'm fine, that's good. But I have things that need to be restored in my life. Now that I'm in church, there are things I would like to see restored. I think they're according to the will of God. You know what the governor at the time said? He said, these priests that we can't find, we are not saying that they won't be there. But there needs to be a priest that will come ministering in the Urim and the Tumim. Meaning there has to be a priest that can activate the divine counsel of God that enabled us to know who truly is there. Obviously there was a priest that came eventually. That's how Abijah was restored. But here's the problem. Because of our sin, because of all the troubles in the world, we need restoration over and over again. If that priest that came was there, eventually you know he died. And we don't know whether the priest that will come after was a wicked priest. But even if it was another good priest, they would die again. In other words, there is a time limit to your restoration according to the lifespan of the priest. But what if there is a priest that lives forever? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23. This is what it says. It says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. If death keeps them captive, then you also are captive. But if you switch your mind to another priest, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And therefore, in terms of mediating the blessings of God to you, he is in the middle, that is, in interceding. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always, he always, he always, he never dies. He always, eternally, is interceding for them. Can you rise to your feet? If you want to, if you want to see the restoration of the Lord, let us think that he is a covenant-keeping God. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City